Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks, Georgia, and thanks, Richard, for your prayer for peace. It was spot on for me, just what I needed then. I'm glad to be with you to continue the series on the Psalms. This morning, I'm speaking on Psalm 139. I'm glad to see Josie here. She spoke on it at her evening service uh, a few weeks ago, and she spoke beautifully. I urge you to uh, listen to the recording of it. Josie also managed to cover the whole of Psalm 139. I'm just looking at verses 1 to 16. That's as much as I've kind of been able to get my head around. Uh, When Josie spoke, she suggested that there are three essential truths in Psalm 139. That God knows me, that God's with me, and God created me. I agree with her. I'm not going to be speaking to you this morning as a Bible scholar. I'm not speaking to you based on years of study, but rather on months of reflection. This psalm spoken to me really deeply um, for much of this year. I invite you to take what I say that's useful and to leave what's not. My understanding of the Bible is that God can speak to each of us through it right here, right now. It's been strongly informed by the Benedictine principle of Lexio Divina, or divine reading. It means that through the Holy Spirit, we can encounter God just as we are. If you're drunk this morning, or high on drugs, or full of joy, or in the midst of pain, if you're a Christian, or a Muslim, or an atheist, or anything else, God can encounter you and me right now, just as we are. I hope that's the experience that we'll have together today. I think this psalm is somewhat self-explanatory, that the truths in it uh, speak for themselves. And I'm going to invite us now to spend a little time soaking in them. Jonathan, thank you for agreeing to come and read it uh, for us. In the Lexio uh, tradition, we're going to listen to it twice. The first time as Jonathan reads it, I invite you to see if there's a word or a phrase from the psalm that speaks to you. And if so, just to keep it in your heart, I'll read it for a second time. And maybe as you hear it, ask God, what have you got for me today through this psalm? Right here, just as I am. Jonathan, thank you. Psalm uh, 161. 139. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Verses one, <laughs> nervous. 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You receive my thoughts from afar. You discern my um, going out and my lying down. You have familiar. You are familiar with all my ways. Uh, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. When I go from your spirit, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, uh, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Number 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Uh, so there's another page here. 12, if even in the darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innocent, my inmost being. You knit, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. Let me read it uh, one more time, and uh, as we do so, maybe reflect on what God's saying to you right now through it. You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be.
As a very little boy, my son Bedrick, Frederick had two pieces of artwork up in his bedroom. One was Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It had been beautifully written out in calligraphy and decorated by Abby Bateman. Thanks, Abby. We still have it up. The second was a wall sticker with a summary of several verses of Psalm 139 on it. If I recall correctly, and uh, Iris and Prosper, you can tell us as you live in our old home. There were verses 13 and 14 in summary. I think they said, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This sticker was up on the wall for a long time before I really engaged with it. When I did, I thought, can these verses, powerful as they are, apply to this tiny little boy, almost characterless, spends most of his time screaming? <laughs> Richard, if we could have the picture of Frederick. He's now a bigger boy, has a character, and screams much less. This is him on his way to school recently. The Psalms have a number of different authors. King David wrote this one. Some scholars say that the Psalms of David are deeply personal and exclusive between David and God. They relate to the unique and distinct relationship between them, and they aren't intended to be applied to our lives collectively. Maybe we can do a show of hands. Who thinks that the words of a Psalm like this are exclusive between David and God and apply only to their relationship, or perhaps to God's relationship with the Israelites? Raise your hands. Who thinks they might apply to all of us? I'm with you. If the former was the case, I'd better give up now because I'm not sure that and there's very much that I could um, say on a relationship that's not um, personal to me. If I did, I think it would be a bit irrelevant at best and maybe voyeuristic at worst. I take this psalm as being for all of us and I love it because of the sense of being known that it gives me the sense of being known that I think we all need. We long for it. Henry Nguyen, a priest and theologian, wrote a book called Life of the Beloved. In it, he said, when we claim and constantly reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Instead of making us feel that we are better, more precious or valuable than others, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. That's the great joy of being chosen, the discovery that others are chosen as well. In the house of God, there are many mansions. There is a place for everyone, a unique, special place. Once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, we're able to recognize the preciousness of others and their unique places in God's heart. He goes on to say, We may be little insignificant servants in the eyes of a world motivated by efficiency, control, and success. But when we realize that God has chosen us from all eternity, sent us into the world as the blessed ones, handed us over to suffering, can't we then also trust that our little lives will multiply themselves and be able to fulfill the needs 
of countless people. So I took it that these words could apply to Frederick, that God really did know him before he was born and had a plan for him and would be with him as his life went on. It was pretty special to reflect that, and it changed my attitude towards being a father because I realized that Frederick's life didn't begin and end with us. And in fact, hopefully, whilst we were there for the beginning of his life, we won't be there for the end of it. And we will have handed him over to others who love him as we do, and to God's love. It reminded me that there'll be depths of our son that we'll never understand. And all of this before Frederick had made any choice to follow God or to believe anything. Frederick is very special to us, but we realized that he was one of thousands of babies born in London in November 2012. If the verses applied to Frederick, then we guess perhaps the verses apply to each of those babies. And if they apply to each of those babies born at the same time as Frederick, we wondered, I wondered, when did these verses stop applying? What does that mean for us when things go wrong? One of my favorite songs that we sing here is King of My Heart. It says that God's never going to let us down. I wonder, does that mean the desires of our hearts are guaranteed? That our prayers must be answered? I've been reflecting on this in the context of some men who've shaped my life. Richard. I came across this fellow when I was about eight at Sutton Library. The picture was on the front of a book about the death penalty. What was most striking for me about the picture, other than the power imbalance, was the, expre the expression in this fellow's eyes. To me, they looked lifeless, as if he was dead, whilst he was still alive, before the electric chair was switched on. I realized that that was the power that the law has in our lives. It can remove hope. It can remove agency. It can remove a possibility of a future. Seeing him helped form my desire to become a barrister and to form a community of people working for justice. The next photo, please, Richard. I wonder what the psalm means for these men pictured here worshipping a church on death row in Uganda. They'll be worshipping like that right now. And I wonder what it meant for the man I met 15 years ago on the ward of floor, B, floor 4B uh, at Malago Hospital. I found him in this ward um, naked. I spent five days washing him and trying to advocate for him and nourish him. I came on the sixth day and he'd died the night before. The flesh on his bottom and back was rotten down to the bone. I wondered, had these men's parents not claimed Jeremiah 29 and Psalm 139 as their inheritance? Had the children at their church not prepared such artwork for their bedrooms? As they approached their deaths, I wondered if verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Was on their lips. Whether the condemned pr prisoner in the electric chair had quoted verse 5 to the executioners. God hems me in behind and before. He's laid his hand upon me. This morning, I'm trying to reconcile the promises that we believe we've received and the realities of our lives. The disconnect between what we sometimes feel we are entitled to 
or old as we start our journeys of faith, or maybe even when we've been on our journeys of faith for quite a long time, and the realities of life, the pains, the hurts, the rejections, the suffering, the failure, that sometimes brings our journey of faith to an end and sometimes acts as the catalyst that makes it stronger. The author C.S. Lewis said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to a deaf world. I wonder, can we do anything to forfeit our identity as God's sons and daughters, for him to abandon us? Is there any suffering or pain in which we can't encounter him? Or as verses 2 and 3 put it, will he ever not know when we sit and when we rise? Will he not perceive our thoughts from afar? Will he stop discerning our going out and lying down or being familiar with all our ways? I spoke earlier this year about Bartimaeus, who was blind and rejected and living in squalor and darkness. And yet Jesus knew him and called him by name. It looked to me like this psalm might apply to his life, especially verses 11 and 12 that say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. And then, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. I mentioned then that 2018 had been a time of much darkness for us as a family, including a miscarriage in October. When I gave that talk earlier this year, my wife Hannah was pregnant again with twins, as some of you know. My understanding from this psalm was that even before the twins were conceived, God knew them and had a plan for them. And it gave me a little comfort amongst the fear of pregnancy post-miscarriage. Shortly after I spoke at that uh, sermon about Bartimaeus, I went to an event in London with a pastor called uh, Julian Adams who was giving prophecies. If you're not familiar with the term, the dictionary said, it means a prediction of the future or a revelatory utterance, which as Christians we believe comes from God. As I understand it, getting a prophecy is getting a glimpse into the book which has all our days written in it, mentioned in verse 16 of this psalm through another person. I'd not met this fellow before or heard him, but he picked me from the audience and spoke movingly about the work I do for justice. At the end of that service, I went up for prayer, and I said to the guy who came up to pray for me, it's lovely to um, hear about my professional life and the things that I might um, do in it, how I might live out my calling if I've got one. But actually, I'm petrified of our babies dying. He said, remember God's sovereign, which the dictionary suggests means possessing ultimate power. At 15 weeks, the babies died. A lot of people were praying for us from the start of the pregnancy. We tried to understand God's plan when they died. And if God had started to knit them together in my wife's womb, why they died before that process was even complete? I wondered, perhaps God was with them for the few weeks they were around, and there'd be no going back for us to life before them. Perhaps God's there when children are born disabled, or we die too young, or in the depths of dementia, or of war, or in a strained marriage, 
or in the lives where we just see brokenness. Perhaps God's there even when we can't see him or understand him. I had a sense that God was holding us when our babies died. The next picture, please, Richard. Tony from Gilman's Funeral Parlor in in Tooting was the undertaker at the baby's funeral. I met him a few weeks later to collect the ashes, and he said to me, I go to a lot of funerals. I spend all day, every day at funerals. There are a few that make me cry, but there was something about your baby's funeral that was different. There was something about the words of the songs that touched me deeply, so much so that I made this video clip on my phone. He gave us this shaky two-minute video of SP worshipping and the three others of us there sitting silently, other than Tony's uh, sniffling in the background. That video has been a real source of um, comfort and sustenance to me because it's part of my testimony. In many ways, our society tells us to hide from death or be ashamed of it. I hope not to do that because I don't believe that death invalidates the preciousness of life. Rather, it reinforces it, and remembering death helps me to save a life. That moment's part of my testimony because I felt that day like I was at the depths of the ocean mentioned in verse 8 of this psalm. And yet I was also held by God and by Hannah and by S.P. and by the vicar, Rose, and by Tony. It's part of my testimony because maybe that funeral service planted seeds in Tony's life and in mine. In London, we're quite good at hiding away from people and situations which are unpalatable uninstagrammable, unpresentable, unfashionable, unsexy. However, I think if we are Christians, we have no choice but to accept and love each person as each person is created in God's image. However flawed, however broken a person or situation might look from the outside, I'm starting to get an understanding that God can be present in it and them. I wonder if we are presented with a special challenge, a special invitation to reach out to others as a church which is, on average, as young, as white, as healthy, as educated, and as privileged as we are. Recently, I've started to grow up slightly. I've begun to understand a little that as adults, as Christians, we aren't promised a life that's only blessing, that's only safe, that's only provision, that is only going out with joy and mountains and hills singing before us and the trees clapping their hands, as Isaiah 55, 12 says, and we also have a beautiful uh, picture done by Abby of that hanging in our daughter's bedroom, and I love singing that song at school, that in fact joy and pain and love and grief sit side by side, and God can be present in it all. That's why this psalm includes the depths the other side of the sea and the darkness, as well as the heavens and the light as places where we can encounter God. C.S. Lewis said, My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He also says, Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also more hard to bear. 
The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than my heart is broken. I don't know what you're going through today, or if your idea of God's been shattered, or your tooth is aching, or your heart is broken. But I believe that God can meet you in it, that nothing's too much for God. Whilst professionally, I've received some hugely encouraging prophecies recently. Our family life's been consistently tough for a while, sometimes feeling like we're on a downwards trajectory. As I start to get more prideful, more entitled, more confident, more comfortable, I get broken down again. And each time it happens, I learn something about myself, about what it is to be held, what it is to receive love. I've been inspired by the Teze ecumenical Christian community in France. The Teze community speaks about life as a pilgrimage of trust. They suggest that in response to the question of how we can pray and work with others around us, where we live, like in church, the pilgrimage of trust invites us to walk forward on our way because it exists only by our walking. They suggest that as we do so, we understand that all humanity forms a single family and God lives within every being without exception. For me, this is the essence of Psalm 139. I sense that I'm being invited to try to learn to trust God again. It's easy not to. It's easy to rely on myself. And it's also easy to live in fear rather than faith. For me, it was almost a relief when our babies died because the thing that I feared most had happened. But fear paralyzes and faith liberates. Next week, Hannah and Frederick and Cicely and I will begin the first journey of a year of living overseas, having sold our London home and put all our things in storage. This is our little pilgrimage of trust as we hope to encounter each other and God anew as we go. Verse 14 of this psalm says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This invitation to praise, even at times when I don't really feel like it, resonates with me. I believe the experience of God as SP worshipped alone is why Tony the Undertaker was moved so deeply. Shortly we'll have a time of worship. If this morning you're looking for a light, if like David in verse 11 you're saying, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Remember verse 12, that even the darkness will not be dark to God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to God. If you're in the midst of fear, and Isaiah 43, 1, which says, Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine, means something to you. Perhaps you'll choose to ask God into your situation once again or for the first time today. I think God can encounter us and shift our perspective, can give us hope and peace that surpasses understanding, and that he encounters us through each other, and that there are people here who can journey with us who are aching who can lift us up and love us and help us to stand again. 
I like St. Ambrose of Milan. He said, the Lord restores you. God doesn't push you away. The Lord comes to meet you. If, like me, you wish to learn to trust again, to trust when a relationship has gone wrong, to trust in the midst of illness, to trust when you don't have money, to trust when you're addicted, to trust when your baby died, to trust when you're experiencing injustice, to trust when you're waiting to hear God and all you hear is silence. You might like to come forward in a moment and we can pray together in solidarity and hope. Or you can stay where you are and whisper to God in your heart, remembering verse 15. That your body was not hidden from God when you were made in the secret place, when you were woven together in the depths of the earth, and you're not hidden from God now. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.